Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings one and all, and welcome to Moments That Rock, a proud member of the Pantheon group of podcasts. I'm your host, Tony Mike Leadis. I spent three decades working in the music industry, running my own PR company, and working as a publicist. For you 2 The Police, Depeche Mode, David Bowie, New Order, Peter Gabriel, Genesis, blah, 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 blah. If you want to know more, feel free to visit my website at www.tonymikeleadis.com. Each week, we'll strive to bring you a cornucopia of musical delights, all based around storytelling. There's archive interviews from back in my radio days with the likes of the Ramones, Steve Winwood, The Cramps, U2, etc, etc. We also have some great stories from some industry insiders. Right, intro done, on with the show. There's a whole bunch of rock stars who work behind the scenes, and they have some great stories. Insider Insights takes you inside their world for their stories and their rock star moments. And on today's Moments That Rock Insider Insights, part two of Dave Robinson. If you missed the first one, go back and find it wherever you source your podcasts, part one with Dave Robinson. I won't go on any further about him. Dave's a great raconteur. He's been around through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and he's still around. In today's episode, he tells you what he thinks of the bands that were around at the time, and that he's moved into being basically a pioneer for pub rock in the UK, and especially the start of it all with Brinsley Schwartz. Dave Robinson. There was a band called Gentle Giant, and that's what they did. They were gentle, and then they were giant. It was fucking amazing listening to them and then them talking about it intellectually as if they discovered some huge i mean i couldn't believe this garbage i'd been in america i'd seen muddy waters i'd seen you know the way america treated its musicians and its great musicians and i thought something like that should be possible in the uk i mean there was tamla motown so you thought well somebody's got this together and I was trying to do that. Luckily, out of all that, that the Brindley started in the pubs, I managed to uh, book a lot of those pubs and uh, ended up at Brindley, who were incredibly live, incredible live band. Nick Lowe on bass, Brindley Schwartz on guitar, uh, Billy Rankin on drums, Ian Gom on guitar. And they were, they were an incredible group and they played some great stuff and people remember them now they uh 
gave me the impetus to discover a lot of bands which then went on to form Stiff Records. So all those groups that the majors didn't want, they didn't, you know, they thought pub rock was a joke. And it was an unfortunate name. Some journalists inevitably gave it to, <laughs> gave it to. But, you know, there is a, the amount of alcohol that you need <laughs> in a lot of situations with bands. And Stiff was the start of all the guys who wrote great songs, but were not perhaps oil paintings and didn't color their hair, didn't <laughs> wear platform shoes and really just played some good music. So we had Elvis Costello, we had Ian Dury, we had a lot of people from that era and time on Stiff Records. Madness came from that place. And, <coughs> excuse me, that's uh, what launched 10 years of Stiff, which people look back on now. I'm always amazed by how fond they are of that period. As you know, at the end of 10 years, Chris Blackwell came to me and wanted to me to run Ireland. And in order to swing me into the idea, he said he'd buy half of Stiff. You know, and it turned out to be complete bollocks. You know, I had to lend him the money to buy the shares. The Ireland had no money whatsoever. They're totally broke. In actual fact, if their business affairs people had really been paying attention, they should have wound the company up. It was totally insolvent. And... Uh, you know, I ran, I ran well with that. I mean, the great thing about it is I got a, I got a chance to do Legend by Bob Marley, one of my favorite all time. Uh, I did a bit of U2 to push them over the uh, kind of platinum bridge. Frankie goes to Hollywood, um, you know, but all the other people were leaving Ireland in droves, you know, Steve Winwood, Robert Palmer. So there wasn't really a lot going on. And Chris double crossed me at the end of the day uh, with Tom Hayes and Tony Pye, the, the three musketeers, the complete bollocks. And so, um, you know, it was a difficult time. However, we live and learn. And uh, I went to Ireland and started a stud farm <laughs> and had a, a lot of winning racehorses. So that was a fun period. That's 1992, takes you up to. And, um, I'm still here. I have a new band called Hardwick Circus from Carlisle, who are very young, 21-year-old lads, who are quite incredible and causing a bit of a stir. And so that kind of brings me up to date, Tony. Is there a specific area you'd like to uh, dwell on? Well, just listen to what you said, Dave. I mean, I've heard some of the stories over the years and stuff, but, um, you know, your time with Hendrix, I mean, joking apart, you've learned an enormous amount because I would imagine you're looking at somebody who's incredibly talented and wonder why he's not worth a fortune. So you took that into your own management and, and label and stuff and things because you talk about 10 years at Stiff, but it was only two years with Jake, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, not two years, actually. Uh, 14 months, uh, three days and two hours. <laughs> the last two hours was great. <laughs> I counted the time. Um, no, Jimmy, what did Jimmy teach me? He's a lovely guy. He's a genuine guy, not, not hugely educated. Um, he, you know, he, he would say yes to a lot of things and really mean no. You know, we had a couple of heart-to-hearts where I said, look, Jimmy, you know, if you, you just say no, it's no problem. You can say fucking no. I don't mind what you say, but try and be straightforward with me. I'm your tour manager. I have to, I have to address you to other people. And if you, keep, if you get flaky about it, everyone gets flaky. The other thing is, 
you know, it's about time you got your fucking guitar in tune. You know, it's just fucking out of tune all the fucking time. Uh, and I can't see that that's a great advantage to you. You're constantly tuning it as you play, and yet you're one of the great players in the world. Your management and your record company are shafting you big time, but I can't really say that immediately. And, and you signed a lot of stuff when you weren't thinking about it and you didn't have a lawyer. So I learned all of that. I learned that management and record companies did not have an artist's best interest in mind. There was all the, there's all the rank and file in the record company who are really into it because they really cared about it and they really would go over hot coil, uh, coals to make the thing work. But the actual management and record companies did not have the right attitude and were not really promoting the right music. I liked the music. The record companies don't are not even interested most of the time in the music. They're not, you know, major record companies, you know, could give two damns. I mean, Simon Cowell, he just steals from his artists. That's, he sits back there with that big grin on his face, thinking, oh, there's a quite a good one. I can rip him off for a few mil, you know, and ditch him when, when his day is done, which won't be long. It's, um, it's, a, it's a business where the record companies steal from the artists and management run their whole operation around the talent of a songwriter stroke musician who has spent a lot of time honing their music. However, musicians also you've got to keep an eye on because they, <laughs> they're very big on the Brutus game, which is stabbing you in the back if you don't kind of keep an eye on them. You know, they will do anything to make it. And uh, if you're the body in the way, you could very easily get uh, shafted yourself. So it's, a, it's an interesting business, it's called the entertainment business. And really, uh, there's some great stuff in it, but there's an awful lot of sh shit. And you, oh. know, you, know, you know that, you've had to carry a lot of it up and down the motorway for years. That was just pretty, <laughs> there's a guy called Peter Collins who lives in Nashville and he's a great producer in my book. He produced 18 hits for Stiff in a row by by the borderline people. He's very good at the borderline people. And he asked me at one point, he said, um, Dave, why don't you give me one of your big bands to produce? And I said, unfortunately, Pete, you're too good with the crap. I'll have to keep you there because you're too good with it. <laughs> I can't let it. <laughs> and we're still friends. We're still friends and we're still talking every, every week from Nashville. So there've been some great people in this business, been great people all around, musicians, songwriters, workers in the company, promotion men, all these kind of people. But they've been at the beck and call of the manager stroke agent stroke record companies. And that's what consistently needs to be addressed. Streaming, streaming is just a joke, unfortunately, for record companies. They don't make any product. They don't distribute anything. <laughs> they don't do anything. They just take these long catalogs that they haven't paid all the royalties for and the, and the people are dead and they don't do anything about tracking down the estates of the people or the grandchildren or whatever of, of who really own these catalogs and they make a fortune. There's a guy called King Gillette and you'll be aware of him because you are sh shaving your head so often. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, uh, he invented the safety razor. And his favorite motto, which I really like, he says, what's wonderful about my business is I make all my money while I sleep because that's when men's hair grows. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what streaming for a major record company is all about.
Well, there you have it. The always entertaining Dave Robinson. And you can tell what he thinks about the music industry. There's more to come from Dave in weeks to come. And there's one previous one. So we call that part two because it's the second part. And the next one is, you guessed it, part three. Ah, some very fun memories from back in the day. I had the pleasure of working with Stiff Records for a good few years. Um, this is my kind of tone alone section, which I kind of stick in when I hear certain interviews and it reminds me of periods in my career. Um, I was started selling records in 1974, but 1978 I kind of progressed into um, my first role in PR. And one of the first things I did was working with Stiff Records, who had a licensing deal with Island Records, which was the company that I was working for. And um, they had some classic uh, early tours. Just to give a little bit of a history, Stiff was formed in 1976, uh, lasted for 10 years. Although um, Dave Robinson's partner, Dave Robinson, of course you heard, uh, was Jake Rivera, and they fell out, and uh, Jake left after two years and formed his own record label, taking Elvis Costello with him. Uh, it didn't last for long, it was called Radar Records. And um, the label was started with a £400 loan from Lee Brillo from Dr Feelgood, who Dave Robinson managed for a while. And uh, in '77 they had um, their first stiff tour, and they had some great, like, kind of a slogan to, to match it, um, which escaped me immediately. Um, but uh, that tour had Elvis Casello and Attractions, Ian Enduring the Blockheads, Nick Lowe featuring Dave Edmonds, a few others. Uh, the tour I worked was 1978, which had Rachel Sweet, Lena Lovitch, Mickey Jupp, Reckless Eric and Joan Louie. That was known as the Be Stiff Tour. Uh, tickets were £1.60, which is what, maybe a dollar twenty, and uh, one eighty on the door. So not bad value for money. Um, Stiff went on to sign people like uh, Madness, The Pogues, Kirsty McCall, Tracy Ullman. They put out my, my Devo. And they were known for having the first punk single in uh, 1976, New Rose by The Damned. So um, they kind of really left a mark on um, certainly the music scene in the UK. Like I said, Jake left in 78. They had some great slogans. Paul Conroy, who you may have heard on the podcast last week. If not, it's worth checking back um, on our uh, podcast site and uh, looking for uh, the interview with Paul Conroy last week. Paul Conroy... Uh, came into Stiff Records as the marketing manager, came up with some great slogans. Um, the world's most flexible record label, we came, we saw, we left, was another one I remember. Um, the classic, if it ain't stiff, it ain't worth a fuck, <laughs> which that t-shirt's done. Another one, when you kill time, you murder success. And um, yeah, and uh, they put a compilation album out in 1978. Um, and it said everyone born in 45 will be 33 and a third. Excellent. And um, what else did they have? There's, there's some wacky things going. But um, one thing that springs to mind immediately was the Stiff Tour, the Be Stiff Tour of 1978 with the artists I just mentioned on it. And um, my job was to get them on radio and television. So I organised with the local TV company where I lived in Manchester, which was Granada Television. We actually had the first TV appearance of Elvis Costello, actually, as well as Blondie and the Sex Pistols and the Beatles. They were legendary with uh, coming first with music. Um, so what we did was we recruited a crew to come to Piccadilly, Red Railway, Piccadilly Railway Station in Manchester to film the band coming in because it was kind of kind of weird and funky. And um, so I got the crew kind of out there and Stiff um, managed to have the train coming in backwards on another platform. So where the camera crew were, they were supposed to be waving out the window and they, uh, they ended up waving to a bunch of nobodies. The crew were completely confused. The band got off the the um, train, and then all of a sudden the power went off. 
So our job then was to kind of haul the crew and the TV presenter onto the train, uh, which was in total darkness, so people were walking around with torches. Of course, stiff being stiff, everybody thought this was part of the scam, and they got away with it. Anyway, nice little story, because uh, it's, it's like 45 years ago, but I remember it so vividly. And Dave Robinson, who um, you heard from earlier, and um, you will hear from again, is just an amazing raconteur with some incredible stories. He told you about tour managing Hendrix in, Hendrix in the 60s. There's a story there where he went around to meet him at his apartment, and the first time uh, he knocked on the door, Hendrix opened the door with a hairnet on. I mean, that's one of those moments you can kind of picture, right? Anyway, enough of that. It's just nice to have some of my own personal memories thrown into there. So, you are listening to Moments That Rock, and uh, in Moments That Rock we feature uh, interviews, archive interviews with artists and industry insiders, of course Dave is that, and this man is um, very much an artist to the extent that he's a knight, he's uh, reached knighthood status. His name is Ray Davis, or Sir Ray Davis, and this is part two of uh, an interview I did um, some 25 years ago. So, Ray Davis. Welcome to the bit where we plunder the archives and dig deep and find interviews from way back then. Today's Way Back Then is part two of Ray Davis talking about his unauthorised biography. Do you, do you find, um, like you say, 19 is quite young to come up with a song that's still remembered 30 years later. Do you find, did you find songwriting quite easy? Um... Well, the fact that you're still writing No, it's never, it doesn't get any easier. It wasn't easier, easy then. Uh, in the book, I describe how I embarked on being a songwriter. And it, I think what I wanted to do was make blues music. But when I suddenly had You Really Got Me as a hit, there I was, 19 years old, with this hit record, my fifth song that I'd written, now being put on a conveyor belt where I had to keep producing material. I didn't have the experience of living on the Mississippi or living in Memphis, Tennessee. So I, I, the, the music was raw and blues-oriented, but, but the, the lyrics were from my experience of living in London. It's so got to that be, was odd, an odd combination. It's got to be better than singing about cruising down boulevards if you haven't been there, though. I have been down Hollywood Boulevard. That's a song. But did in you fact, at 19? Yeah. But that was later on, and that's when I lived in just off the Hollywood Boulevard. That's quite a sleazy part of my my life. But that's that's quite. I had to approach that. That was a very difficult part to write. It was a hard book to write because I. People have said it's a very self-critical book, and I think I didn't want to paint a, a glamorous picture of myself. And the Hollywood Boulevard sequence. I think what it means that that, that section of the book is, even though it was a seedy period in my life, I think a, a, a beautiful song came out of it. And uh, you, I, I really think you have to experience these things to write about them. When you say it's seedy, I mean I've not got up to that bit yet. <laughs> is it seedy in as much as it's it's typical sort of LA? Um, well, what's typical LA? Well, I mean, LA's probably lost its day, hasn't it? So I suppose it has to go well, through. LA thinks from the from the belly button downwards. That's where the brain is. <laughs> Decadence. Yeah. So do you look back at that, that, that period in your life that you you could have lived without? Are you glad you went through it? Um, I I don't regret anything, and I make no apologies. But when I signed, I had a signing today, and obviously, it people have come up and they say, "Will you sign it to me and my daughter?" I said, "Well, you read it first, and then." 
let your daughter read the bits you wanted to read. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough, very honest. Yeah. Um, you were obviously satisfied with the book and you knew when it was finished. I mean, mm. if, if there had been anything there that you're quite sh- not quite sure about, would you have waited two, three, four, five years for it to be published and come out? Or yeah, would you have just had to live with what was there and have condense to live it? With what's there. You know, you can edit and edit and edit. And if I had my way, I'd still be remixing Sunny Afternoon. The record wouldn't have come out because I wanted to keep remaking things. But obviously I can improve it. But the book stands now. It, it exists. And um, I, I'm pleased with the result. Um, obviously you can always refine things forever and ever and ever. Maybe next time. Is this, is this like, I mean, there seems to be a lot of activity with Ray Davis, the person, with the book, and, the, and there's the compilation, the To the Bone, coming out, which I suppose there have been other Kinks compilations. I mean, mm. wh- why now? Is it like the 30-year thing? No, I think... The, the, the bone thing is the, the, the bone. I can't say the thing. Um, <laughs> the film as well, eh, maybe? The film, well, we did we did a sort of an unplugged at Conk Studios and we also videoed some of our tour that we did last year in the UK and America. And it's a lot of the old songs, but played now. There's a really nice version of Water is Sunset and uh, things like Tired of Waiting. Also, we've recorded, and that's going to come out uh, another time, uh, lots of the lesser-known tracks. So um, it's interesting in that, it's yes, records people have, have bought before on the compilations, but this is us playing them this year, which is different. You know? mm. Did you, incidentally, did you ever hear that Kinks compilation um, tribute album that came out from a local label around here, Imaginary? With with various bands, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it was a great. Out of that. I yeah. mean, what, one of my favourite King songs ever was "See My Friends," you yeah. know. And there was a band from here called the Chameleons who had yeah. a group called the Splinter Group called the Reeks, a couple of guys. It's an amazing version of that, but mm. it doesn't half make you go back and listen to like the original version. Yeah. I mean, that's probably like, you know, one of the, yeah. I don't know, one of the cult Kings tracks. I mean, do you oh, look yeah. upon that as a, one of your? Stri- it is particularly the recording we've got on the Bone um, album. It's an interesting. It's more acoustic driven. So they're all re, re, re sort of mixed. It's us, it's us sitting down in the studio in like a rehearsal situation with a few fr- invited friends in, and we built a little set like the front room of a house, you know, oh, great. In the parlor of a house. So it's got a completely different feel to it than just the greatest hits, right? Yeah, and it's uh, it's just got a, it's got a lot of charm about it, but it's also got a great ver- live version of All Day and All the Night, which to me, which opens the album, which is really the definitive killer performance <laughs> <laughs> and that's coming from you eh <laughs> yeah and that is a great well from us our definitive yeah. performance of all day and all the night wonderful stuff so um i suppose what we got to look forward to is, is the sort of rare tapes emerging at sotheby's next haven't they yeah well no we've got a single coming out i think if they can get the tapes organized because it's a christmas rush in the pressing plants and um, <laughs> they're bringing out a, a single of the new recording of waterloo sunset which you really got me on it and i've included two demos we did in the 70s that have never been released before. And some people might say, no, we know why, once they've heard them, but that <laughs> I, I, I could have remixed them and, and, and tarted them up to sound really good, but I wanted them to be like period pieces, and they sound... It, it's very of the mid-'70s period, and two tracks, one's called Elevator Man and a ballad called On the Outside. So there's something from the old sort of mid-period kinks as well. Is that, I mean, looking at the stuff, I mean, there was a sort of period, I suppose, from the, in, into the 80s where there weren't any hits, were they, with the kinks? I mean, all of it came, like, from the 60s into the 70s. I think, well, this country, we, we really sort of went to town in the UK. You know, we had 
four hits a year. We just churned them out, and the albums as well, and the EPs. And then we went to America. We got we were banned, and in the book I explain, go into detail about the first tour of America, which was a catastrophe. Uh, but luckily we survived, and a lot of people went to America and never came back. Do you think that was timing, going to America at the wrong time? Uh, no, well, on, on the surface, it was a perfect time to go to America because everybody, it was the British invasion, and everybody was conquering America. But the kinks being the kinks really screwed it up, and... Um, what anyway, was it? I won't give it away because it's in the book. It's, mm. it's, 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 it's an interesting time, but it left a real scar on us. So what happened, when we finally got our visas, uh, they gave us visas, um, really the end of the 70s, we made a concerted effort to go back and we had to start from the bottom. This is a band that's had like 21 hits all over the world and big album success. Going to America, to starting again, playing in colleges and clubs. But that did us a service in a way because we built a new audience and in the mid 80s it all culminated in this huge album success in the states uh unfortunately the kinks being a sort of band that has to be seen live we couldn't really perform much here and it was just before videos really you had videos to, you know now you can tour everywhere because you've got a video on television or on the chart show or on mtv people think you're actually around yeah. We couldn't do it then, in, in the end of the 70s, early 80s. But it was a video, Come Dancing, that we made that really broke us finally all over the world in our second coming, as it were. It was an amazing tool, isn't it? But presumably you're doing a video for all day and all the night, are you, just through uh, necessity? Well, no, we've got it. We've got it on video, the, the performance on video from the live concert. So you're just going to use that? Yeah. Would you, would you feel a bit strange, like, you know, after all these years having to go and sit there and spend, like, a day or so making videos just for the sake of MTV and stuff? No, I think it's uh, it's a, an interesting addition to what I do. Uh, it's I love video. I, I love making films. And... Presumably you'd have to have a say in the storybook and everything with your own self. Not really. I think uh, a lot of videos now, eye-popping video, of course, I've used the word eye-popping, but it's uh, it's a question of cutting images together. I like to use a narrative in my video because I like stories, but that's not really a very commercial and fashionable idea. I think a video is just there to sell the product. You worked in television, didn't you? Yeah, I've directed and written a few things for TV. Really? Yeah, yeah. Do you still do any of that now? Well, uh, the next project I'm doing is a feature. It, it was a, it's actually a, a story I started to write about ten years ago. In about the time I lived in New York and it found it didn't work. I couldn't resolve the story. So I started writing a script. The extremely talented Sir Raymond Davis, as he's known now. He got the CBE before his knighthood. I interviewed him in his late 40s and uh, he's 77 now. He's known as the godfather of Britpop and quite rightly so. I mean, when you look at Oasis and Blur, I mean, it pales into comparison, really, with uh, the stuff that he did. When he was 20, he wrote all day and all of the night and you really got me that's quite incredible and um yeah he's got six elder sisters and one younger brother who was in the band of course dave and um his father interestingly enough worked in the slaughterhouse and so did his father so dave wrote some songs instead of going to work in a slaughterhouse next week on moments that rock if i get it done in time you will be hearing an archive interview with bono and the edge we have several programmes um, coming over the coming weeks about you 2 
uh, stuff that I did myself, and uh, people like Malcolm Gary, who you heard on Moments That Rock in a previous podcast, talked, talking about the making of Red Rocks. It's all really good, so hang in there. Way Back Then is part of Moments That Rock, where we dig deep into the archives, dust them down, and deliver them. More archive interviews next week. Top tech companies like Intel have a secret to their success. They get the best talent, reliable infrastructure, and save on costs by expanding in Ohio, the new Silicon Heartland. Learn how your business can succeed in Ohio. Visit successinohio.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.